The conditions at Ontario long-term care homes were laid bare in a troubling report from Canadian Forces staff who were working in the facilities to help amid the COVID-19 crisis. But those who follow the issue will tell you that these are ongoing issues in part of the healthcare system that doesn't always get the attention it needs. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Ottawa Citizen Health reporter Elizabeth Payne joins me to talk about how COVID-19 may have made existing problems worse and how the report and the pandemic as a whole may force real change on long-term care in Ontario and Canada. Don't forget you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Elizabeth, the report that came out just a few days ago, feels like a long time ago already, but the report came out just a few days ago from uh, members of the Canadian forces who were called in to help in a handful of Ontario long-term care facilities, laid bare for many people, pretty damning conditions at places that are supposed to care for the vulnerable among us. But I understand that these are conditions that have been kind of laying in the background for quite some time. What can you tell me about the background of the situation in Ontario long-term care homes? Well, anyone, and this includes families, residents, of course, advocates, journalists like me who have been following in a while have read this military report with sadly a great deal of familiarity. These were all things that we have read before, that we have heard before, that people have told us before. However, the military going into five homes in Ontario and um, being apparently so concerned about what they saw that they needed to write things down and note them and send a report to make sure they didn't go unnoticed, they said, and put them all in one place during a pandemic where everything is worse in long-term care was pretty powerful. I mean, the premier said it was the worst thing he's ever had to read as a premier. Mm -hmm. It shocked a lot of people. It did not shock people who have spent time inside homes, but a lot of people from the outside, it's tough to get attention paid to long-term care. The people living there can't advocate for themselves. Most of them have Alzheimer's or some form of dementia. So it's tough to get the kind of attention that this got to things they had been saying for a long time. So there was sort of one part frustration, one part relief that this would get paid attention to. One of the questions that's been raised in the wake of the report is how the ministry responsible for long-term care in Ontario missed these conditions existing beforehand. Is it a case that the conditions at homes in Ontario aren't as bad as they are in a pandemic, or are there concerns about the inspection system in the province? I think both of those things are true. I mean, everything got worse during a pandemic and for two main reasons. One is that staffing levels dropped precipitously and they were already way too low. Some homes lost 50% of their staff because they were forced to only work in one place or some of them became sick. So they already had a hard time coping. Suddenly they had a system where they could just barely get people who needed help being fed, fed in the dining room when they all sat together at tables. 
Now we have a system where everyone's individually in their own rooms. They couldn't feed them. I mean, this is something we've seen repeatedly, people losing weight, people having cold meals in front of them. So that made it worse. And the other thing is that during normal times, the entire long-term care system is supported by family caregivers who, in many cases, spend every single day feeding their loved ones meals. Mm -hmm. Some families hire, pay for personal support workers on top of the care from the home who do the same thing. Those homes rely on that, so suddenly they can't come in. So the math does not add up. They already didn't have time to do the jobs they were going to do, and suddenly they've got far fewer hands and far more complex situation, which created a disaster at many places. Also, the answer is that these circumstances existed. In fact, I know many people were were quite frustrated you know, there's partially a gender lens on this. Uh, long-term care is largely, the workers are largely female. Mm-hmm. The majority of residents are females. Majority of carers are females. They have been saying this for a long time and people are not listened to or else they're often slapped with non-trespass orders and, and kept out of homes. In fact, the military goes in and suddenly you can't ignore it anymore. So, you know, there's a bit of that. But on the other hand, it was an embarrassment to the province, I think. And the premier, Doug Ford and others talking about, you know, what they learned. Well, you know, I I read long-term care reports as part of my job. And most of the things I read in those reports, granted, there were much more of them over a short period of time, But most of what I've read, I have also read in local reports, and they could have read them themselves. Their inspectors have been telling them the same thing. Cockroaches that are persistent, that don't go away, parts of rooms that are supposed to be cleaned weren't being cleaned. We had a home in Ottawa a few years ago where a woman pulled a screen off and jumped to her death. Cleaner went into the room and replaced the screen no one noticed she was gone for a good hour and someone out having a smoke break found her. Wow. You know, we hear many of the same sort of forced feeding, lying down instead of sitting up. So these circumstances existed. They have been found. And that is with a inspection system that frankly is getting worse. So there's clearly a lot more there. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. The, you know, we talk about how long-term care facilities understaffed and then the pandemic exacerbated that by limiting how many homes that workers could work at. What is the staffing like in the inspection system? Are there enough inspectors to follow up on the number of complaints that there may be in Ontario homes? You know, I don't have exact numbers, but no, there aren't. I mean, the inspections, and I think every government has struggled with this, It's an almost impossible task, the amount of work, the amount of follow-up being done. There's so many homes, there's so many complaints. But what has been done, and it's been a a number of governments, this government is just the latest, but um, this government, there's something called RQIs. They're meant to be annual inspections. And the theory was that everybody got one of these unannounced annual inspections that they had a list and they went through everything. Well, that did become undoable and it wasn't happening every year. So they built a risk-based system that would find homes that were considered higher risk and those ones would get annual inspections, the other ones wouldn't get them every year. 
But that system appears to have been completely broken down last year, according to research from the Toronto Star. Only nine homes in the province got an inspection, an annual inspection. Uh, one home in Ottawa where one quarter of residents have now died of COVID and two staff members, plus the husband of another staff member have died, was not even rated high risk, so it wouldn't qualify for an annual inspection. Mm-hmm. So these aren't happening. I mean, they're going in to homes, of course, and they go in for complaints. So they're in there all the time, yes. But the problem with the complaint system is nobody complains about infection control practices, really, because... It's not something you can see or report on. You might complain about food. You might complain about other things. But it's not a way to know whether they're doing a good job of infection control. And I think the military has proven that a lot of these places, it's disastrous. They're not. They don't know how to. They're not, you know, doing what they should be doing. So, Had the military not been called in, as someone who's reported on this issue for a number of years, do you feel that the pandemic would have been enough to show how bad the situation is at these homes? Or did it need the military report to act as a finger on the scale to really drive home to politicians and others in Ontario and even across the country, there's a problem in our care homes? Yeah, I think it made a big difference because, I mean, to be fair, it is a completely neutral organization that went in and said, wow, this stuff is going on while we're here observing. So yeah, I think that made a huge difference and will help action happen sooner. I mean, the thing is, nothing really ever changes too much in long-term care. I mean, there are currently now class action lawsuits. Uh, The ombudsman is investigating. There's going to be this provincial investigation. So things are happening, but they are all at a slower speed. So I think without this military report, we might be seeing, you know, reports trickling in. But we've seen that in the past and change doesn't really happen. I mean, there was a huge inquiry into deaths of long-term care residents by a nurse. Those recommendations still are not complete, mostly to do with medication. So um, I think the military made a huge difference. I think it just was like a huge public spotlight Mm -hmm. and there was no way you could argue you know, it was somebody with a vested interest. So yeah, I think, in fact, it was an excellent thing. We will see how much change happens. It, it's tough. Yeah. You know, I think the pandemic and this report have, have just sort of underscored how serious it is. Ontario and Quebec are really the center of the outbreak in Canada. In Ontario, uh, COVID-19 is really a long-term care disease. The, the amount in community are really limited. By some counts, more than 80% of deaths have been connected to long-term care or other senior living. In Ottawa alone, there have been 244 deaths. 206 of them have been among long-term care residents. So a lot of effort, a lot of time went into clearing out hospitals, stopping everything, getting, you know, getting the health system prepared for COVID. And everyone seemingly forgot about long-term care, which things were slow to happen there. And to me, it underscored that it is a hugely forgotten and underfunded part of the health system Mm -hmm. that was left out of these preparations, really. I mean, you know, while we had hospitals that the hallways were cleared, they still were doing things in long-term care that they shouldn't have been until quite far into things, so. 
you recently did a kind of a deeper look at how COVID-19 could spur real change in Ontario's long-term care homes. What kind of things are we talking about here? Is it more beds? Is it more staffing? Is it changes in practice? Is it all three? Like what could we hope comes out of this pandemic for that sector of healthcare? There's a lot, but I think the big two items are staffing and um, the homes themselves. Of more than 70,000 beds in the province, 30,000 of them are due to be rebuilt, essentially, because they're too old. So that means some of them had four people in a room. Many of those places, COVID just went through them very quickly because there was no way to isolate people from each other. So they don't meet modern standards. This current government has plans to build 15,000 beds, but it takes time. So that should spur that. Ontario wants federal funding to do so. That probably will happen. The other big thing is staffing. It is a system that is totally supported by personal support workers who are sort of an underregulated, hugely underfunded, underappreciated part of the health system. There aren't enough of them. In most long-term care homes, there are supposed to be nurses, RNs, in addition to RPNs, if I have that correct. Mm -hmm. But they there aren't enough. Uh, there are shortages. No one wants to work in long-term care. They don't pay well. And the conditions are harsh. So there have long been calls to have rules in place saying every person needs four hours of care a day, and that is what your staffing should be. And every time someone proposes that, it never passes into law. So I think this will change that. The number of maybe higher level uh, nursing and professions in long-term care, the numbers of PSWs in long-term care, the amount they're paid, mm -hmm. you know, all those things. They're, generally, no one gets a full-time job, so no one has benefits. Those would go a long way to making a big, big difference. These are things that don't move quickly. Change doesn't happen overnight. When can we expect even analysis of the problem and how to approach it or some of these investigations that are going on to complete? Like what's what's the next step in the timeline here? An ombudsman report will be, I'd say, at least till 2021. This investigation that the province is starting in September, you know, I suspect all of those reports are going to be out next year sometime. And people involved in long-term care just say, look, we know that what has to be done, let's make change now. So what Doug Ford wants to see is the feds involved in a nationwide support of the long-term care system. Um, and he repeatedly says it's not just Ontario, but it kind of is just Ontario and Quebec. It's not, I mean, British Columbia had the earliest outbreaks in long-term care and they really stepped in quickly and shut them down, much more so than Ontario. So Ontario's got big problems. Arguably, one of those issues that people would like to know more about is whether the privatization of long-term care has played into this. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say. Um, you know, there have been more deaths at private homes, but, you know, there's many factors involved. So that does require analysis as well. Yeah. You know, I guess the answer is some things can be done quickly. Staffing could be done quite quickly if they can find the staff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, things take a while. Building new buildings takes a while. So, so no one's going to snap their fingers and fix this system. That's true. Elizabeth, thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Elizabeth Payne. More from her at ottawacitizen.com. 
I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.